five weeks ago, we started on this series of working out together. What is God's purpose for us as his church? What's God on about? What's God's heart for the universe? And we started seeing the Apostle John's picture of the throne room of God, the command center of all that's going on in Revelation 4. We saw this picture that John laid out for us of the throne of God and around the throne were these creatures and then around these creatures were these 24 elders and they were all there encircling the one on the throne, bowing down to him. What were they saying? Revelation 4.11, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. The picture at the center of the universe is that God is in control. He is in control of everything. He's made everything and he sustains everything. And because of that, he's worthy. Worthy. Worthy is he of our our worship, of our praise, of our adoring, because he made us. He made you. He made everything that is. As we think through what what God is doing, that's the first kind of block we've got to hold, is that God is in control. The central reality of the universe is that God is at the heart of all that's going on. And we saw that the song that was being sung in heaven was this song of worthiness for God's creative work, for all that he'd done, for look at the, the mountains and the rivers and the stars And human creation, it's wow, you are an amazing God. But then into this picture, in Revelation 5, walked one who looked like a lion and then a lamb. A lamb that had been slaughtered with blood all over it. This lamb walked right into the middle of this throne room, past the 24 elders, past all those gathered around past the four creatures, right up to the throne, to the center of the command center of the universe and reached out its hand and took from the one on the throne this scroll that we take is the plans and purposes of God, that the future of what God is doing. He took this scroll and opened it, enacted it, put it into action. He is the one that now everything is about. He is the one at the center of the picture. And suddenly, like that, heaven changed its song. Have a look at Revelation 5, 9 and 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God And they will reign on the earth. If you want to know what this world is about, take a look at John's sneak peek into heaven that we looked at in the first week in this series. What it is about is seeing people from every nation, every every tribe and every tongue captivated, focused, amazed by a slaughtered lamb, by Jesus, putting him at the center of their lives, him who died for them, who redeemed, who bought back God's people from their rebellion against God, who paid the price that we deserve so that every tribe and language and people and nation might be part of God's kingdom. 
This is what God is on about. The work of Jesus bringing us back into relationship with God and placing him at the center of our lives. That's what we're about. That's what God's heart is for us. And so over the next four weeks and again this week on the fifth and last, we've been looking at really a summary of how we do that. How do we put God at the center? How do we live with God's purposes and and his central truths at the, at the focus of our lives. And as a church, we kind of summarize these into what we call five M's. They all start with M. It's helpful to remember. Sometimes it's annoying because you don't know what the word is. But we've got them into this, this diagram that kind of shows you how we split up everything at church. Um, so we've got magnification, mission, membership, maturity, and ministry. We kind of separate church into these five areas and see that these areas are the way God wants us to see Jesus glorified. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what each of them mean, just to refresh your memory. On the next slide, they're up on the screen as well. Magnification is glorifying God in all that we do in loving and delighting in Him. It's one of the main purposes we have that you can kind of summarize what the Bible teaches down into, into this area. The second one is mission, proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as missionaries, saved and sent by Jesus. Now, the third one is membership. It's being... It's loving and belonging to the local church, to the Auckland EV community, to uni church. Then last week we looked at maturity. What does it mean to grow as disciples in our love and knowledge of God to be more like Jesus? And this week, we're going to be spending our time thinking through ministry, service, how we can identify, equip and unleash people to serve Jesus' kingdom with humility, passion, and eternal effectiveness. If maturity is about us growing in our love and knowledge of God to be more like Jesus, one degree at a time, just one step more like Jesus, then what we're looking at this week, ministry, is about setting us free. Setting us free, unleashing us to be who we are, servants of Jesus. So why don't we pray together now that God would do that as we look at this next section of his word and think through what it means to serve him. Let's pray. Lord, as we've heard your word read, and as now we think through what it means to serve you, we confess that service for so many of us is something that is tiring. Yet we ask tonight that you might refresh us. And help us to see really what service is about. That you'd change our minds and our attitudes and the way we think to see the phenomenal joy we have in partnering with you. Amen. Well, here's my confession. (laughs) Sometimes I just, well, I don't love serving. I don't know about you. You think about that word service, that's not really the kind of the word that makes you go, yes, I'm, I'm excited about serving. And maybe it does for you, maybe, that, maybe far more godly than I. But as I come along, as I, as I read through the Bible and I read the, the, the um, titles that Scripture gives us as Christians, like I'm excited, right? That, that we're called heirs of God, that we'll inherit the universe, that we're called a son of God, sons and daughters of God, children of God. That's an ama- If that's true, that's amazing. That we're called God's treasured possession. I'm like, that excites me. Then we're called his servants. Literally, the Greek says slaves. I'm like, nah, the others were better. 
Uh, can I just have those? Do, do you experience that sometimes? What we want to do tonight is to actually spend some time thinking through what this service is. Because if you're anything like me, as you think through it, it brings a mixed bag of emotions. What I want to do is spend some time thinking about why we serve. And we're just going to go through a number of wrong reasons why we serve and then come back and really have a look at why we should serve and it should totally change our minds. That's my hope and prayer anyway. So number one, wrong reasons we serve. And and here's another one of my confessions for tonight. There's going to be lots. Um, This is me. All of these have aspects of me. So I don't feel like I'm pointing the finger at at any of you, although you probably like me in some of these ways. But I find myself serving for all these different reasons. Number one, sometimes to impress others. Have you been there? Where you want to do something for Jesus, uh, but really your hope is that as you're doing it for Jesus, everyone else sees you. And they're like, oh, that guy, he's a a great servant of Jesus. Do you find yourself wanting that that praise from others? (laughs) Being noticed can be something that we start seeking. And without being... Without consciously realizing it, we become people who need to be noticed. We want people to think well of us, but in the end, we serve Jesus in order to serve our own reputation. If you want to work out if this is you, you might already know. Here's a helpful question. Think about the last thing you did or the way that you serve God and ask this question. Would I do this with the same amount of energy and the same, in the same way, if God was the only one who saw me? If your answer is no, probably if it was just God seeing me, it'd be a little bit less or maybe you know, not as much. Well, our service has begun to be driven by us elevating others to the status of God. We're starting to please others rather than Him. We're not living for an audience of one. We're not serving Jesus. We're saying... Look at me. And if you're anything like me, I find that in all sorts of different ways, creeping in, my pride. <laughs> Do you serve Jesus to impress others? That's the first one. The second one is um, we can slip into this idea of thinking that I serve Jesus because he needs me. Now, sometimes I think this is more of a guy's thing than a girl's thing. Because most of us guys pretty much think we're God's gift to the universe, right? We're like, we're here. To, we're like, why wouldn't we be? Look at how he's made us. We just, we just think this way. It's the kind of natural way guys think. You know, without me on the team, well, the gospel's not really going to go that well, is it? Right? And that sounds silly. It's like, no, we don't really think that. But let me just push us a little more. Have you ever found yourself going, oh, be great to pray and read the word today, but I don't have time because I've got to go and share the gospel with someone. <laughs> what are we doing? We actually think that it's more important for me to do this work than to pray about it. God needs me to share the gospel more than he needs me to ask him to see this gospel go forward. We actually think he needs my work more than I need him or his work. And I think... Again, I find myself there. Not reading the word, not listening to him, but thinking, yeah, I've got to get on with doing this gospel ministry because, well, Jesus needs me. At other times, we serve, I think, to try to be good enough 
for him. I think it's one of the biggest traps for people checking out Christianity is to think that Christianity is is a religion that's about what I do. It's about doing good. It's about pleasing God. And as long as I I go along and I can please God, then, well, I'm I'm right with God. I, I can be good enough for him. In some ways, I can appease him enough to be like, yeah, that Rowan guy is not too bad. You know, he serves me. And that's what we can put on to the world around us. That's what so many people think. If that's what you're thinking tonight, I want to say it's, it's totally wrong. It's one of the biggest traps because I can't serve him perfectly. I, I can't be good enough for God. I can't be perfect. But sometimes I think, oh yeah, you know, if I just do this thing, if I serve this extra hard, if I do this in this other area, yeah, it's, it's annoying and frustrating and tiring, but... You know, maybe it'll just make me that little bit more acceptable to God. God will like me just that little bit more. Ever thought that? What we end up doing is pushing ourselves into this position where my relationship with God is based on my performance. It's based on what I do rather than on what Jesus has done. It means I I better start doing lots of stuff. It can push me one end of the spectrum down to saying, I've got to do as much as I can, as often as I can. Otherwise, well... I won't be good enough for God. Or it can push us to the other end of the spectrum. I, I can't do this. God must hate me. I can't please him the way he, he wants me to and, and therefore he must look at me and not be happy with me. Now we'll see tonight that serving to try and be good enough for God is just not right. Another reason that we serve is I think sometimes we serve thinking that we'll get something from God, that we'll get something from Him. You know, if I do greeting at church this week, then maybe if I come and I, and I come to church and I, and, I, and I serve doing greeting at the door, then maybe God will just let me pass that exam. You know, if he sees that I'm really serving him, he'll just boost my marks and I'll get through. And that way, and I'm serving him in order to get good marks. It's kind of like I'm trying to arm wrestle God. It's like, God, I've got something that you need. I've got this service that you can't do, that you need me to do. And you've got something that I need. You control everything. And, um, and what I'd like is for you to use your control of everything to see my marks go well. And I'll come to church and serve your people. Deal? And maybe it's not that clear, but there's a little bit inside us, isn't there? I'm serving him, hoping that some blessing will come showering down on me, that he'll give me something that'll be so much more helpful. (laughs) Or another reason we serve God is to pay him back. And I think this is actually a big one. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this. We think that we, we need to serve Jesus because we need to pay him back for what he's done for us. Gratitude, right, is, is simply a response to forgiveness. It's a response to what Jesus has done on the cross, being, being thankful. And it provokes in us two very different motivations of our service. One of them is great, the other one is not so great. <laughs> let, let me point them out. When we reflect on what Jesus did for us, that he came and died on a cross and took the penalty that I deserve so I could be forgiven, it pushes me to say, you are amazing, Jesus. If, if you've done this, you are so amazing that you would do this while I still hated you, while I still had wanted nothing to do with you, that you would die in my place, 
man, I love you. It pushes me to have this great sense of love for Jesus, to be amazed at him. I'm so thankful for what you've done. And and because I love you, I want to serve you. You're just amazing. I I just, I, I want to follow you. That's a good response, a right response, a response of gratitude to what Jesus has done for us. But I think sometimes when we look at what he's done, it can push us towards not just thankfulness, but a feeling of indebtedness. You've given me so much. It's amazing. I just feel like I want to do something for you. Why? I want to do something for you so that, so that you know, I, I, can, I can give something back. So I don't feel as though I'm in as much debt. I know that I can't, I can't ever pay the debt you've done. It's like $10 billion, trillion, right? But maybe if I can just make 20 cents and give it to you, then, you know, that's at least, you know, I, I'm paying back some of it. Let's take it out of the us and God relationship for a moment. Let's go to something that's pretty large, um, but think through how it works. Just imagine a wife who has forgiven her husband for committing adultery, right? Serious stuff. She's actually forgiven him and said, I I forgive you. And then the husband goes, well, I'm going to be the best husband I can be. I'm going to be the best husband I can be. But not out of love for you and your amazing forgiveness, but because I feel bad, because I did this, and, and really I, I want to try and I want to try and make it up. Do you see what's happening? I want to try and make it up to you. I want to try and pay off the debt I owe. I want to try and settle the score. I want to I want to love her back. So it's kind of sure I might have done this really bad thing, but I'm I'm going to make up for it by being the best husband I can be. I'm going to go above and beyond. Sure, I might have done this thing, but wow, I loved you above and beyond. And, you know, suddenly I'm standing on my own two feet again. He isn't trying to please his wife who has already forgiven him. The debt's been forgiven. He's trying to make himself feel better, make himself feel okay to balance out the score, to to pay off the debt. And paying off the debt is, it's not about her. It's about me. And sometimes we find ourselves doing that with God, don't we? You've done so much for me. I, I feel like I owe you something. I feel like I need to pay it back. And so I start serving because, man, I, I need to pay it back. It's not accepting the forgiveness God has offered. It's standing on my own two feet saying, one day I'll, I'll just be a little bit better by doing this stuff for you. I'll, I'll balance out the scores a bit more. <laughs> we end up putting ourselves on the same level of God, thinking that we can pay him back, as though we do something that contributes to our forgiveness. No, we need to serve Jesus, not out of indebtedness, not to pay him back, because it ends up, well, putting us in all sorts of situations where we reject his forgiveness. So in the face of all these wrong motives to serve, how do we think about service? How do we do it? Because I see all of these in me at times. I see tendencies to go all these different ways. How do we actually serve Jesus? What is service about? How do I do it? Jesus says, um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and find your rest in me. But I'm like, how do you, how do, you do that? 
doesn't feel like it's easy and light. It feels lots. Well, the first thing we need to look at is not our service of Jesus, but Jesus' service of us. We need to hear the words of Jesus and hear them very clearly. And then here's where the shift will start to happen. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man, even Jesus, didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The King of the universe the one who is at the center of the throne room of God, who takes the plans and purposes of God and can enact them, and who is worshipped along with the, the Father, says he didn't come to be served, but to serve us, to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for many. Jesus doesn't want you to measure your life by your service of him. He doesn't want you to, to, to kind of to serve him in such a way that your service of him gets in the way of your love for him. He didn't come to be served by us or by you. He came to serve us. He came to lay down his life for us. Listen to what Paul says in Acts, 7, in Acts 17 as he explains the gospel. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, its ruler and He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Do you know how odd it is to think that the creator of the universe needs us to serve him? He doesn't. Jesus doesn't. He came to serve us. He doesn't need our service. We need his That's why in that passage uh, that Rachel read for us, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. You've got to work out the time this is. He's just about to go to the cross. And what is he doing? He's showing what he's come for, to, to serve those amongst him, to wash their feet, to cleanse them. It's a picture of what he's about to do, to cleanse them from their sins. In a few short hours, he's going to cleanse their souls. He served us by giving his life as a ransom, as the lamb that was slain. The first thing to note as we think about service is we're not here to serve him. He came to serve us. Secondly, that his service of us isn't finished. It's not over. He's still serving us. In the letter um, of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus' role as a high priest the high priest was the one who would, who would come before God at the temple and offer a sacrifice to God for the sins of the people. He'd be coming on behalf of the people saying, we're sorry for our sins. We need forgiveness. And he would present to God this, this sacrifice of the people so that God could then forgive them. Well, this is what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus as the great high priest. Verse 24 of chapter 7. But because he, Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he who is able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is the great high priest. 
He's the one who is always interceding for us, always coming before God. Yes, he paid the price for our sins once and for all at the cross when he died and and the wrath and anger of God for everything that we'd ever done was poured out on him. And Jesus cried out those words, it is finished, it was done. The penalty was paid on the cross. God's anger was poured and exhausted in Jesus. Yet in heaven, in the throne room, here is this great one who's who's paid the price. Who every time we sin, every time we rebel, every time we fall short, stands before the Father and says, it's okay, Dad. Remember, I paid it. Interceding for us. Showing the Father the sacrifice of the Son on our behalf. We have a great high priest who stands before God for us. He's still serving us. He's still standing before the Father on our behalf. In fact, not only does he still serve us on our behalf, but he serves us in another way as well. He serves us by letting us serve him. We don't often think about it this way. Our service isn't a down payment. It's not a a drawback or a drag. It's a gift from Jesus to us. Serving God is actually a gift. It's actually a joy let me explain kind of how this works. Two weekends ago, it's probably three weekends ago now, um, I decided that the best thing for us to do as a family was to build a fort in our backyard because forts are great, right? Um, the guy had come along and been um, doing some clearing for the landlord and they chopped down this, this um, palm tree and I asked them as they chopped it down to chop it down at the same level as the support on the fence so I could put a um, one of those... Uh, pallets on it. So we had a pallet that we had that our kids were playing on. I'm like, cool, I'll put it on top of this tree and make a fort like about that high from the ground. Anyway, so we did that and I kind of secured it to the side. It was just this platform up on this kind of tree stump that was left and it was great until Amy pushed Lara off and she landed on her back on some like rocks on the floor. I'm like, this isn't brilliant. Um, I'm like, what we need to do is it needs like a, a, a fence around it. It needs to be like a proper fort, none of this kind of just this floating platform in the sky. So two weekends ago, we, we, um, I'm like, right, let's go and try and find some more wood that we can get so, for free. You know how you can drive around and, and um, like industrial areas put out wood out the front, like free firewood, they're smashed up pallets and stuff. So we're driving around with all the kids in the car, um, giving Sarah kind of a bit of a morning off. And we, we found this place that had lots of pallet wood. We're like, great. And so all the kids get out of the car and we're going through this box, watching out for the nails, telling them to be careful, pulling out bits of wood and working out which ones we could use. And we kind of got a number of them. Then Nathaniel takes them to the car and puts them in the car. He's like, what about this one, Dad? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that'll fit in the car. But anyway, and, um, so we're kind of going through and then, it's all in the car. We drive home. We lay it out on the floor, and it's like on, of the of the backyard. We're like, okay, there's a lot of wood here. How do, we, how do we do this? And I'm like, right. And then, so what happens is Lara and Nathaniel and Ethan and Amy they start grabbing all the wood and start trying to put it together, and they're like shoving stuff in weird places. And like, how about we do this and have it come out here? I'm like, mm, maybe maybe not that way. And then they kind of get the nails that I had, and Nathaniel jumps up on the platform and just starts hammering him into the fence. Problem is, that's the neighbor's fence, and it's on their side. And I'm like, you can't just. You seriously got this massive long line of nails just coming out of the fence. He's like, it's cool. And I'm like, what are they for? He's like, oh, they're hooks. I'm like, what for? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, awesome hooks. And then they kind of get this other bit of wood that we had. It's like, how about we make like a, a, um, 
a shelf. I'm like, what are you going to put on that? He's like, oh, stuff. Okay. So they just kind of start hammering in and putting these nails in and they kind of go through it and poke out the bottom a bit. But I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's good. And then I'm like, actually, this needs proper screws. So we jump in the car and we go to Bunnings. All, all of us to Bunnings, four kids. Problem is, when you get to Bunnings, they've got those little trolleys. Uh, but there's only three of them. So that didn't go well when there's four kids. So three of them got the little trolleys and they're like pushing them. And one of them's like, I want a trolley. Why does he get a trolley? I'm like, well, it's just we can share, right? So I'm holding on to Amy's one because she's our two-year-old. She's the youngest. And she's kind of like, wow, through Bunnings. And I'm like dodging people and like holding on to the top bit. And the other guys are somewhere around. So then we're like, okay, we've got to find the screws because the screws will help us put it all together. So we get the screw aisle, and they're like pulling screws out. What about this one, Dad? This is a massive thing. I'm like, no, that's not going to work. We need like a, a thing of them. Anyway, we end up finding the kind of right screws, and they stick them in the trolley, and we go back, and we go, we go out. Um, we're at the checkout, and one of them is kind of like pushing the other one over. I'm like, no, 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 we've got to pay for this stuff here, and there's kind of commotion going on. I separate them, sit them on the bench. They finally work it out. All right, let's go. We jump in the car. We drive back home, and then we're kind of screwing it all back together, and we're kind of putting it all together, and it's kind of it's starting to look like a fort. It's starting to look good, and they're, they're like suggesting stuff, and they're having a go at the drill, and, and it's going well, and you know, it, it was actually quite fun. It was great. Um, it wasn't easy taking four kids with three trolleys, in fact, the whole thing would have been a whole lot easier to do and far more efficient if I just did it myself. If I just went, kids, you just stay inside and play on the iPad and I'll make a fort, right? But I actually wanted to spend the time with them. I wanted it to be our fort. I wanted to actually go through with our kids and be like, let's build this together. It'll be, it'll be fun. And sure, it wasn't as efficient. And sure, I was continually going, no, don't, don't hammer into that bit, Lara. That's, that's a, a, like a metal gate. It won't work, right? And, and then like, we've got to do it here. And then like they're doing, and then someone else is off here. I'm like, back this way. And sure, it took like three times as long. But the thing was, I got to do it with them. I got to share it with them for us to enjoy together. See, service of God is kind of like that. It's like us as his children helping our dad. Not because he needs help, but because he enjoys our company. He gives us the privilege of being part of what he's up to. He, he, he allows us to be involved in his kingdom and in his plans and purposes to see his kingdom grow. And he says, I, I want you to come along. And sure, we stumble and we stuff up and we hit nails in the wrong places. But he's like, over here, this way. Sometimes we drive our trolleys totally off the path. He's like, back over here. This is what we need to be doing. And he helps us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He covers up our mistakes. He loves us working with him. Sure, he could click his fingers and make everything, boom, change. But he doesn't. He chooses to do it for relationship with us. He chooses to involve us in, in what he's doing because, well, he loves us. When you have that view of service, it changes the way we think. I can't imagine for one second my kids going, oh, I, I need to build this fort, otherwise my dad won't love me anymore. They're my kids. I love them. I care for them. He's our dad. He loves us. I can't imagine going, no, I need to serve um, so he's happy with me. If I don't build this fort well, dad won't be happy with me. I'm like, God has already shown his love for us in Jesus. I don't need to please him in this way. He's allowing me to serve with him, to be free to serve him and to, and to love him. Or I need to serve God so I can earn his blessing. But he's already adopted us as his children. He's already called us his own. He's already made us heirs to everything. What more blessing is there? 
seriously, what, what are we trying to achieve? By He's given us it all. See, this is the treasure of Christianity. Not that we get to be good or, or grow. Not that we get heaven. Not that we even get blessings or joy or hope or peace. The, the, the treasure of Christianity is we get God. We get to share in His plans and purposes. We get to be with Him as He works, as He works with us and through us. We get to be part of His work. Part of what the Creator of the universe is doing. We get God. When we serve Jesus, friends, we're not giving Him something. He's giving us something. The opportunity to work with our dad. See, when you visit someone after uni church and you go to their place and they're kind of just finding stuff hard and you're kind of like, hey, look, can I help you with that assignment? And you help them out and you work through stuff and then you realize that they're just totally smashed. So you're um, tired, I mean by that, just in case you're wondering. And um. And so you're like, look, why don't I just cook you dinner? And so you cook them dinner, and then you kind of do a bit of tidying up of their room, and you're like, hey, can I pray with you? You're serving that person, and you're serving Jesus at that point, but you're not giving something to Jesus. You use your time and your effort and your money to serve your friends, and that's Jesus' gift to you. His gift to you is that you get to be part of what he's doing, of of loving his people of caring for his people, his family. See, think about it like this. Imagine you've done all that stuff. Yeah? Um, just say you do it for yourself first. So you kind of wake up one morning, you're like, whoa, my house is messy. My, my room is messy. I don't know, this might be a regular occurrence for you. And you're like, what am I going to do about this? And so like once a quarter, you're like, okay, I'm going to vacuum. And you're like, so you get the vacuum cleaner and you vacuum your room, you, you get under the bed even, right? And you, you do it all there, you put clothes away, then you get off that little nozzle, you know, the one that does the cornices that you never do, and you actually do the cornice bit, the, the thing that you're always like, oh, it'll be right, I'll do it next time. But it was really two years ago when you did it. And so you pull that nozzle out and, and you kind of go around all the cornices, you get the cobwebs from the top and round the kind of window frame, right? It's, it's clean. And you kind of stand back. Now, how do you feel at that point? Satisfied? You know, look, my, my room's clean. You take a photo. I'm not going to see that for another couple of years, you know. There you go. It's all, it's all good. And, and you might feel pretty, a bit tired. You've worked hard to get it done. But at that point, you're like, yeah, this is, this is good. Now, shift scenes. You go and do all that for your friend who's just feeling tired. And you go and do it at their place. And, and you clean their room and you help them and you help them with some of their work. And, and you stand back at the end. How do you feel now? more than just satisfied, you experience the joy of helping a friend, of seeing them be loved, of loving them. You get the experience of a deeper friendship that you share together their burdens. There's this deeper sense of satisfaction. I haven't just done this for me, I've done this for them. You enjoy serving them. You're expressing your love for them and for Jesus by doing this this way, you're living as you were created to be. This, I think, isn't there some sense of like this is, this is right, this is good, better than me just doing it in my room. I'm actually loving someone. Jesus gave you a gift. He gave you the gift of serving His people. That experience of of partnering with God in loving His people. Now, grasping that reality of what service is really about. 
sets us free to enjoy his love, to enjoy the gift that it is, to be on God's team, to be part of his plans and purposes. And then oddly enough, as we do that, we become set free to serve him more. We're like, this is great. I want to be part of what he's doing. Not because I need to, I need to earn it, or I'm trying to get his blessing, but because I'm free to do it. I don't have to worry about how good my serving is because he's he's got my back. He wants to include me in this and he wants to give me the gift of serving others and be part of what he's doing. So we're going to serve him longer and harder and braver and truer than we ever could otherwise, aren't we? In fact, if we actually get what's going on, by serving Jesus, we increase our joy, not deplete it, because we get to partner with God in what he's doing. Well, given we have that privilege of serving with God in what he's doing, how do we serve? Well, we serve with the gifts God has given us. We serve remembering we've been gifted by God. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. Um, Read this whole section a little bit later, but Peter's kind of summarizing this bit. He says, based on the gift each one has received... Use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. There's so much in that little sentence. The word grace just means gift. It says, based on the gift each one has received, we've received the gifts from God. God has chosen who we are and has has gifted us. He has then allowed us to manage the gifts he's given us so that others may be loved and cared for. God, in his sovereign plan and purpose, made you exactly how you are so that you might serve with him. He picked you. He molded you with the gifts that you have. Sure, they might need some scrubbing up. Sure, you might need to work on them and and fan them into flames and see them grow. But he made you just as you are with your passions and desires and, and abilities and strengths and weaknesses. And he made you to join him in his family business of building his kingdom. To play alongside him on his team. Do you see what a privilege it is that we've been gifted by God? Do you see the way he's made us to, to serve with him? Imagine tonight, you're, out of, you're on your way out of uni church and your phone rings, you pick it up, and it's Steve Hansen, right, the coach of the All Blacks. And he's like, hey, look, I was just wondering, we're a bit short for the next game we're going to play, and I've been looking at your form and the way you've been kind of walking around your bedroom, and um, I'm convinced I want you on my squad. I want you on my team. I actually, wanna, um, I actually want you to be, to, be, to be playing with us. You've been picked to be on the team. Well, it's not by the coach of the All Blacks. It's by the creator of the universe. He's picked you to be on his team, to build his kingdom in a game that's already won. In the game that we know the outcome from, it's finished. The price has been paid. Jesus is won at the end. Right now, tonight, Satan is so frustrated because we're saying to him, you know what you are, Satan? Loser. You lost. Jesus won. Jesus won. He paid the price. And we now, by serving one another and being part of his family, are proclaiming to all the powers and rulers that Jesus won. Coming to church is saying, Satan, you're a loser. And we get that great privilege of serving on the team that will win, of knowing the score at the end and saying, come play. All your mistakes, that's all right, I'll fix them. 
just be free to come and, and serve with me. So Peter says, you've been picked for this team. Make sure you turn up on game day. Make sure you play your part. God hand chose you. He molded you. He went to the effort of making you be born and creating you and seeing the way you grew up and, and all the kind of every little circumstance that's happened to shape you. He's done so that you can serve with him. But make sure you turn up because game day started. The game is on and, he, and he, he's now invited us to play, to use your gifts. However brittle and fallible you might feel, God says, come play. Come play with me. Come serve with me. Run with all your strength. For your jersey doesn't say all blacks. It doesn't have a picture of a silver fern on it. It's got a picture of, lamb, of a lamb with blood shed. The lamb that paid the price for the whole world so that Satan lost. It's a picture of the victory that we share together because of Jesus' death and resurrection in our place. Come play on that team. But it makes me wonder, how do I know what gifts I have? How do I, how do I actually know how to serve? Well, if Australian Idol taught us anything, it's this. Some people have no idea what their abilities are. Seriously. Have you seen the like... Have you seen what happens at the tryouts? They come along, they think they're God's gift to the world in terms of their singing ability. And you're like, are you serious? That's awful. Like, what is going on? Right? I actually think we aren't naturally good at working out what our gifts are. We need others. It's funny. God's created us for a relationship. We need others around us to help us work them out. So ask people, well, what do you reckon I'm, I'm gifted at? Get rid of that kind of idea that, well, I can't talk about it and um, God has made you that way. Or maybe just go and tell one another. You know, when someone does something like they, they ring you up and encourage you, why don't you say to them the next time you saw them, you know what, that was so helpful for me. I love it. You have such a gift of being able to encourage others. It's so helpful and, and I love it. I just want to encourage you. You should keep encouraging others. Fan that into flames. Now, I know it's a little bit unkiwi, but maybe we actually want to be more Oh, I won't say that. It's too harsh. Everyone stopped. Maybe, maybe we want to be more like Jesus. Keep being more and more like Jesus and say, that is where my identity is. My identity is in him, in being like him. And so fan into flames those gifts of one another. One of the other ways you can work out what am I good at is by giving something a go. Like, I don't know. Let's, I, I don't know if I'm good at kids ministry. Why don't I think about, you know, maybe I could serve Jesus by helping out with kids and seeing them come to know who Jesus is. And we have this policy at Uni Church and Auckland EV where we kind of say to people, look, you can give anything a go for a week. Just come along with no long-term commitment. Just say, look, I'd love to serve in kids ministry. And you might come up to Sarah and, and my wife and say, look, I'd, I'd love to chat to you about serving in kids ministry. She might go, oh, do you like kids? You're like, no, nah, I hate them. <laughs> At that point, she might help you kind of go, maybe kids ministry isn't the best thing for you to be doing. You'd be like, okay, good point, you know? Or maybe it's like, all right, I love kids. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I like kids. I've never given it a go. Okay, there'd be training involved, a little bit of kind of this is what you do and um, working things out. Maybe like, okay, I'm thinking I'd like to preach. I'm like, great, this is a good thing. We should be eagerly desiring, desiring the gifts that build up the church. And so come along and say, look, I'd love to think about preaching. I don't know if I'm gifted in it. 
and we'll say, okay, well, let's think through. Um, let's start with something small. Where have you been teaching others? And can we help you grow in that? And how can we um, kind of sol- solidify your kind of thinking about the Bible and how you do it? Like, let's not be on the back foot all the time, but go, oh, let's see how we can be free to serve God, free to play with him on his team and his work with the way he's made us. And at the same time, don't be hurt and offended when someone says, no, it's probably not where you're at. And if you keep getting that kind of, um, that kind of uh, answer from people. The last couple of weeks we've been on, um, last week we've been on a church planning conference uh, across New Zealand and um, just was Auckland Wellington Christchurch. And um, I was kind of reminded of, of um, another church planning network that had this guy that kept coming to them saying, look, I'm a church planner. God has told me I've been called as a church planner. And then you go and you get kind of um, reports and uh, assessments from other people who knew him and went, this guy's not a church planner. And this guy's not, no, 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 God told me I'm a a church planner. I know I am. And basically, there's like 15 other references that are saying, no, don't let this guy plant a church. It'll kind of be a total mess. And in the end, you're like, well, God hasn't told everyone else that. It's just you and your little world. And at some point, we need to go, okay, I'm going to listen to those God's put me around. I'm going to listen to the friends who love me and want the best for me. So don't be offended when people go, oh, maybe, maybe not here. But go, okay, I just want to serve Jesus. I just want to be free to swing a hammer and serve him in a way that will see his kingdom go forward. Sometimes, though, we can be pushed to the other end, the other extreme, and think, you know, I actually don't have anything to contribute. Uh, there's, there's the end that's arrogant and thinks, well, yep, I should be doing everything. and Maybe needs a bit of help to think through that. But the other end, and I think this is where most of us are, we're like, oh, I don't, I don't think I've got that much to contribute. I'm not that important. But here's the thing to remember. God picked you. If you think your gifts aren't helpful to him, then why would he have made you the way he has? He made you that way for his reasons and for his purpose, and he longs for you to be able to serve him. Maybe you haven't found some areas yet. Maybe you have, but he wants you to fan that into flames. The last boss I had in a church uh, had this saying. It was so helpful. He used to say, there are no well-rounded leaders, just well-rounded churches. There are no well-rounded leaders, just well-rounded churches. We're here for one another. Um, Some of us will will love administration. I really don't get that. I just don't understand. I meet people and they're like, I love doing admin, sitting down, doing fine detail work and kind of sending lots of emails and making sure that your inbox is at zero. I'm like, are you okay? Like, are you serious? You actually like that? And I'm like, yes. They're like, let me serve you by helping you in this way. I feel awful, but I've got to go, no, don't expect myself to be good at everything and be around. Let, let them do that. It's kind of how it works in, in my marriage with Sarah. Sarah is kind of this detailed person that's so helpful for my big picture ideas and we work well together. And she, she says helpful things to me. I remember once she said to me, like, I was kind of like trying to do all this stuff. And she said, you need to remember the role of Messiah has already been taken. I'm like, oh, that's right. I don't have to do everything. Jesus has already done it all. <laughs> and for her, I need to be able to encourage her to be able to serve in the way that she's gifted. Like, she's great at so many things. Loving our kids, of leading our kids' church, of, of critiquing my talks. She's brilliant at it. And so we need to keep encouraging each other and fan them into flames. And I think one thing is, as you think through possibly marriage in the future... One thing to remember is you need to encourage one another. 
It's so easy to be intimidated by, even in a marriage, to buy each other's gifts. Whoa, you're so good with administration. I just can't do that. I'm stuffed. I'm just going to sit here and let all the papers pile up until my room's full, right? And just be, but no, rather be like, hey, could you help me with this? You're so good at doing this stuff. Can can we chat together about it? And and the same way, you want to be the same thing with your friends around you. Don't be intimidated just because someone has the brain the size of a small planet or kind of the social skills of kind of some brilliant person who kind of just gets to know everyone, knows every little detail about their lives, calls them up on their birthday, sends them presents in the mail. And you're like, how do you do that? You know, how do, have you met people like that? Oh, it's like they've got like, anyway. So be thankful to God and encourage them for it. Don't be intimidated, but go, you got to keep doing that. You're going to keep encouraging, building people up in Jesus. If you don't know where you're at and you want to be serving here at Uni Church, and you want to be like, yes, I want to be free to do this, come to On Board, 7th of December, uh, lunchtime. We'll be thinking through more of this stuff. Um, come to Connect Group this week that's on in McLaren Chapel at 7. We'll be looking through this in more detail and thinking through uh, as a group of people, what am I cut out for? How do I serve God? Come and make use of the, the one-week no-commitment policy. Like, I want to give stuff a, a try. I want to see, like, I remember a friend of mine, she was um, a music student. She's a great musician, great composer, loved doing music, but had been serving in church music for so long. And she was just tired. Um, she'd kind of been used a fair bit. <laughs> and she came along to church. Um, she changed churches. I, I was with her at one church, and then I changed churches, and she somehow came around as well. And so as she's thinking about how to serve in the new church, she's like, I. Oh, I just, I don't know, I want to try kids ministry and loved it. Like, this is brilliant. She's like, I love doing kids ministry. So she stopped doing music and um, there were other musicians in the church and she's like, I'm just going to serve in kids ministry because she gave it a go one week because someone asked her and she went, oh, I'll give it a go. The thing we need to remember is whatever gifts you have, it's because of a decision of God himself. The way you are is how God has made you. Remember, he gives the gifts just as he determines. That stops arrogance. That stops jealousy. If you think you should have had another gift, take it up with God. That means if you are gifted in an area, don't walk away from it. You're robbing yourself of being free to serve as God made you. You're robbing one another of the joy of expressing and and experiencing you to your full capacity. But the key ingredient that we need to make sure we have in all that we do as we serve is love. In the kind of main section in the Bible, there's three chapters on gifts, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. You're like, hang on, it's only 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that's about gifts. There's this bit in the middle about, it's the wedding passage, right? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not rude, is not self-seeking, right? It's what everyone has at their wedding, but it's not about marriage, (laughs) It's about the way we use our gifts. Smack bang in the middle of the passages about how, what gifts we have, Paul says it's about love. It's about love. He says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, every good gift God has given us will pass away. They're gifts to use now in God's kingdom building, but when Jesus returns, every gift will pass away except for three. Do you know what they are? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These three gifts are the only ones that have an eternal warranty. The ones God gives us that say, these are going to last forever. These are what I'm like. This is what I'm about. Love is the one thing that will translate into eternity. And without it, we are nothing. 
You could be the most generous person on the planet. You could give away millions of dollars. You could be the most gifted person on the planet. You could lay down your life for your friends. You could have your body burned on the stake, all for the gospel. But if you don't have love, Paul says, you are nothing. Without love, you are nothing. What example did Jesus give us? He served us and he served us with love. At the start of John 13 that Rachel read for us, just listen, here is Jesus. He's about to be nailed to a cross, to be whipped, to be flogged within hours, right? Betrayed by his friends. More than that, he's about to face God's anger for everything we've ever said or done. It's all about to be poured out on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's about to cry out and he knows what's about to happen. What's at the center of his mind just before this is about to happen? Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It was his love that pushed him to serve us. His love for us, his love for his dad. That all the way through to the end, when he could have called down, do you remember Matthew says, reports Jesus saying, do you not know I could call down at any moment 10,000 legion of angels and wipe you out? Like, do you not know who I am? Love compelled him to serve us. We've been served by the creator of the universe. And so we're free to serve him. Not because it depends on us, but because Jesus has already paid it. God's heart for us is to love, to love one another, to love him and and love what he is doing, to see the world come to know the lamb that was slain, who is at the center of the universe. And to push us out as we we go uh, from a Sunday and we go out in our weeks to love the world around us, to love the poor, to love the oppressed, to care for people, to preach the gospel, to use the gifts God's given us. What an amazing God we have. God's heart for us is to identify, equip and unleash people to serve Jesus' kingdom with humility, with passion and with eternal significance. We get to play on his team. And what a privilege that is. I want to serve him. I want to serve him with all that I have because I get to play on God's team. Why don't we pray that God would shape us to do that? Lord God, we thank you so much tonight for the reflection of the love that you've shown us. We thank you that you allow us to be kids who haven't got it all sorted by any stretch, but who are trusting in the one who has. That you capture us up in what you are doing and you allow us to partner with you lord help us to see this as the privilege that it is father for those of us here who have not yet trusted in your son we ask that that you would show them the amazing privilege it is to be on your side on the side that will call satan a loser because of what jesus has done lord we are so thankful for this privilege and we ask that you'd help us to serve with all your energy. To serve not because we're trying to save ourselves or or get attention ourselves or somehow return what you've done for us, but we might be serving because you love us and you want us to be part of your work. 
Lord, it is such a privilege. And so we pray that you'd mold and shape us to love each other in a way that brings you glory and sees more people trusting in your son on that last day from every tribe and language and nation and people because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen.